Play ball. Hi, and welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. We hope that you're well wherever you are and that this podcast provides a respite from anything you may be dealing with related to the coronavirus. On today's show, we're very excited. We're talking to Tampa Bay Rays center fielder Kevin Kiermeyer. Kevin was a 31st round pick by the Rays in 2010. He made his MLB debut as a defensive replacement in the final game of the 2013 season, a game that put the Rays in the playoffs. Since then, he's become known for his defensive play. Defensive run saved has existed since 2003, but Kiermaier ranks among the all-time leaders. He's won gold gloves, platinum gloves, and fielding Bible awards, and he was nice enough to respond to our tweets earlier this winter. Kevin, where are you right now, and how are you doing? How are we doing? How are we doing? I am in uh, at my house in Tampa, Florida, and uh, I'm doing uh, I'm doing okay. Just uh, trying to keep my sanity during these crazy times, and uh, hopefully here in a couple of days get word of uh, what might take place as far as a baseball season. Other than that, though, I'm just uh, being a dad all the time with my crazy little 17 month old, and uh, yeah, just having fun with that and and. Uh, once again, waiting on word to uh, when we're all going to get this thing started again. What's the most fun thing you've done during during the, the time off? You know what? Actually, um, we, my wife and I and our, our little son, Carter, we actually just purchased a lake home up in Indiana. That's where I'm from. And uh, it's about 45 minutes north of where I grew up. But uh, it's big, like, lake country. And I've always, uh, always tell people, I've always dreamed of, owning a lake house because my grandpa did and we went up there for our whole lives and I love being at the lake. I never dreamed of playing professional baseball, believe it or not. Uh, That dream kind of started coming into um, the picture once I got to junior college and it just kind of happened out of nowhere. But going back to my story, we drove up there 16 hours for nine days just because we wanted to just have a change of scenery and we did that and I do this. fishing called bow fishing. I'm obsessed with it. And that's what I love to do. So I was able to do that four times, I believe. So that was by far the most fun thing I've done during this uh, whole quarantine. But for the most part, it's been uh, hunkered down here in, in Tampa and, uh, you know, just sitting here, try to get our work in whatever way possible. <laughs> Are there any commonalities between that type of fishing and trying to catch a fly ball? Oh man. Wow. You know what? That's uh wow. I've never been asked that before, but it's a uh, it's a great question because you have to have the ability to understand how far the fish are under the surface of the water because when you're shooting an arrow in the water there's refraction so the word of the mouth teaching is if you think the fish is a foot below the surface you shoot a foot in front of the fish actually so there the Saying in bow fishing, it's aim low. So you're always trying to shoot below the fish, actually, because it's not actually where our eyes tell us it is. And then in times in a baseball game, um, you know, a, a big part of what I do out there is I, I feel like I've just been blessed with great depth perception. And I, I understand, you know, how hard and how soft balls are hit at times. And that's why I'm able to get the reads that I'm able to do. So I guess there's some correlation in there, nothing crazy, (laughs) but at the same time, uh, I guess you could relate the two in uh, one way or another. All right. I want to get back to that in a second, but first something that we've been asking people that have come on with us players. uh, Do you remember the first really good play that you ever made? 
Yeah, I do. It was actually um, my, so this was my second career. Wait, no, I'm sorry. My third career start. It was against the Angels. It was on a Sunday getaway day back in 2014. And David Price was pitching and I was playing center field. And Eric Ibar hit a uh, ball to right center. And I leaped up and, uh, you know, it would have been a robbed homer if that wall in Anaheim or Los Angeles, whatever you want to call it, the Angels place, uh, if it wasn't so high. But I definitely, um, you know, soared over the bottom part of the fence and made a leaping catch into the wall. And uh, that was the first play I've uh, ever made in the big leagues where it got Sports Center number one on top 10 plays and whatnot. And yeah, that was the first time back in May of 2014. Harder question. What about when you were like a kid? Yeah, you know what? Defense has been my bread and butter my whole life. So I've been fortunate enough to make plays all over the diamond my whole life. That part has always came somewhat easy to me. I feel like I've always had good speed and good athleticism. And, you know, that plays on that side of the ball, uh, especially. So I, I can't, I remember one time in Little League, I was playing shortstop and there was a ball hit to like shallow right center field. And I just put my head down sprint and I laid out in dough for it. And I remember all the parents were amazed by it. And uh, it was just a play that me and my brothers would do in our backyard all the time. So I, I thought nothing of it at the time. But I guess looking back on it, you know, when I'm <laughs> 11, 12 years old, it probably was, a, you know, very, very well above average play. But at the time, I'm just having fun, running around and getting dirty. So, but it, it hasn't changed. I, I still love doing that to this day. and hopefully able to do it for many more years to come. Who was your defensive guy growing up? Hmm. I, I have to. The first thing that pops in my mind is Jim Edmonds. Just watching him roam around was a lot of fun for me. I was always uh, a big Sammy Sosa fan because of his home run trot, and I just lo loved the way he played the game. But I guess as far as you know, making all the routine and spectacular plays from what I can remember as a kid. There was something about Jim Edmonds that I love, probably because he was center field. And I remember I liked Mike Cameron a lot as well. And, and obviously everyone loved Griffey. But uh, I think being a Cubs fan and the Cardinals playing the Cubs quite a bit back in the day, I was always able to watch on TV uh, and catch Jim Edmonds, uh, you know, making the plays he did out there in center field. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to give him the uh, – the upper edge on that. All right. So we, we talk shop here a lot too. And I want to get into what are the things that you do to prepare, uh, ranging from the scouting information that you get, ranging from how you size up a ballpark when you come into it for the first time. Those are two. And I feel like that could provide a very long answer. Yeah. So I, will, I will let you start with that. No matter what I tell you here, it's not going to, I'm not going to be able to give you everything that I do because it's just there's so much that goes into it but I'll I'll uh and I'm not saying I'm keeping anything a secret from anyone <laughs> it's just it's that it, there's just so many different things that come into play but for me I think it starts with the off season and you know I take my training very seriously and I always want to stay flexible I always want to stay quick as possible fast as possible you know I make sure I work on those almost more than anything, because if I don't have my legs or my arm strength or, you know, those uh, certain variables in my game, I'm, I'm not, I'm not me. So I have to make sure that, um, 
you know, I stay on top of those first and foremost as you age year after year, obviously, just like everyone else on the planet. But, uh, you know, once, once I am on a baseball field, I take batting practice very seriously. I don't go out there to mess around or just go out there and just stand there. I work on getting reads. It's just training your eyes. You train your eyes in so many different ways. And I, I truly believe that. So even the balls that I'm not running down, I like to know where they're landing and if I would have had a, if I would have had a chance to catch it type of thing. But batting practice, you know, I'm sitting here at our field, on, on the opposing fields especially, I'm trying to shag even more than what I do at home because I'm so used to our home ballpark. But uh, anytime I'm on the road, I always want to see, you know, how is the ball? Is it going faster the grass? Is the grass slowing it down? What's the wind doing at this particular, you know, what do I think it's going to do tonight? And how do I think I should base my reads off that type of thing? And then, you know, we get cards from our front office, the people who compel all the data over the last couple months and where we want to play guys off certain pitchers. So that helps a lot with uh, all my defensive numbers as well. I, I listen to my instincts out there first and foremost, but having that card and just kind of getting, um, you know, certain position in a, uh, you know, a certain area of the field has really helped a ton over the years. And we just always like to think that we're going to be in the right spot more than you know, us getting beat and someone completely beating uh, with our placement of all three outfielders. It's going to happen. It just, it always does. And it, it will forever, but Little things like that help me a lot. And I like watching the opposing teams batting practice and what certain guys are doing, you know, recently. And what you kind of tell where guys are feeling comfortable hitting the ball uh, during batting practice and what they're looking forward to uh, trying to do during the game. So I take a lot of that into account as well. Uh, it's an art to me. It's an absolute art. I, I love going out there and, you know, having this elite reputation. And for, I always say this too, you see this in many quotes, but if I want to have this elite reputation, I have to do elite things out there. And for me, I don't want to have a weakness in my game, especially on the defensive side. I don't, I don't want it in anywhere in my game, but the offensive side, this is a game of failure, but it doesn't have to be a game of failure on the defensive side. So for me, I want to be in the top tier elite category in everything I do uh, from the defensive side of the game because I just know that's where I separate myself from others. And, um, you know, I, I can sit here and say that I don't think – I, I know for a fact there's not one thing that I do out there on any part of my game defensively that is any tier less than elite. And that's, uh, for me, just wanting to be elite in every single aspect of my game out there. And that's why I continue to work, uh, you know, each and every day on making sure that I stay there until my body tells me otherwise, but I don't plan on that anytime soon because I feel great. I feel young and, uh, I plan on doing this for years to come. All right. So let's take a hypothetical hitter and just some divisional opponent. Like let's take Aaron judge. What's your thought process when he comes up to bat and you're standing in center field in terms of everything from where you play to what you watched in batting practice? Yep. So he's usually a guy where we're, uh, we're usually shading him a little bit towards right center to start the game. And, and as the game goes along and once the relievers come in, he might, depending on who's pitching, we, we go to the pull side late in the game. But 
depth wise, we're, we're going to play him deep. I mean, he probably is uh, one of the strongest guys to hit the ball as far as he can that's ever stepped on a baseball field. So obviously we're going to give him respect in that area, but I'm not going to go out there and play no doubles or play too deep because if he hits the ball over my head when I'm already playing deep, it has to be on an absolute line and in the gap somewhere. And, and at that point, you just tip your hat. Okay, you hit the ball 116 miles per hour in the right center gap on a line. There's nothing we would have done about that anyway. But you still want to be able to take away a blooper every now and then. Even strong, those strong guys can still float one in there. But obviously, um, we're okay with letting him <laughs> – get a single because it's probably going to take, uh, you know, two base hits to score him. And I know he's a fast guy. He, he's very capable of scoring from first on a, a ball in the gap. But uh, he's the guy where you're trying to take away the extra base hits. And, and if he does get a single or walk, you can live with that because he can beat you in so many different ways, obviously, from what he's shown the last couple of years. But he's one of the guys where our card that we see, it would say deep six like deep and then six. So it's usually deep two, four, six, or in two, four, six type of thing. So he's a guy where every time we get the card, I know where I'm playing him. I know it's going to be deep six one way, one way or another, um, whether it's the pull side or, you know, towards right center. But uh, yeah, that's how, you know, I would play a guy like him. And, you know, it's just each and every hitter. And then as the game goes along, you know, depending on what the score is or whatnot, I always go off the card for a reference point, but I don't make it an absolute must that I have to play here. And I think I've earned the right to listen to my instincts or move other guys in certain situations. Just seeing if a guy, you know, let's just say we're playing a guy to pull, he's a right-handed hitter, we're playing him to left, and he keeps fouling balls off uh, over towards the first baseline. We're, I'm not going to sit here and continue to play this guy pull because he's not looking to turn on this 99 mile per hour heater, you know, just for hypothetical reasons. And he's following everything off that way. So I'm going to move my guys over and say, you know what, this is what he's trying to do. And if he somehow does pull it and, and beats us, then I'll live with that. But it doesn't look like what he's trying to do. So you take little things like that into the equation as uh, throughout a game goes. And um, you just hope that you make the right decisions and uh, you live with that. But like I said, you can't, I, I love going off my instincts and I like to think I'm wrong a lot more than I'm, I'm, I'm right a lot more than I'm wrong. I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, it, it's worked out pretty darn good for me over the years. So I'm not going to change my ways at all. Follow up alternative perspective. How do you defend Ichiro? Ooh, Ichiro. It's, it's, uh, okay. So I, last time I played him, it was Miami. I, you know, he was a guy where we're going to play, uh, we're going to make him hit it over our head. And this was late in his career when I was, you know, playing against him, obviously a couple years ago. Um, we're going to play him to left center and it'll be probably right around that, just that aver that regular depth, I guess you could say, maybe a couple shades in. He's just going to hit line drives all over the yard and uh, we're going to try to take those away. If he does hit it over our head, we'll, we'll, we'll tip our cap. We know we're capable or he's capable of doing that, but we're going to sit here and uh, try to take away anything in front of us. And then if he does lift the ball, we're going to hope that he hits it to a spot where me or my corner guys can run it down. But um, yeah, each and every player is different in some capacity one way 
or another. But, um, you know, that's the crazy thing about the game nowadays where you have, uh, you know, so many people that work for your organization, interns who are just crunching these numbers and, and data and, and then, um, you know, working together as a team to produce these cards. And then, you know, what we get in our hands, our front office and management and coaching staff know that this is the best possible alignment we could use, you know, for a pretty good sample size of what each player likes to do and where they typically hit the ball. And uh, it's a reoccurring theme for a lot of guys, and, and that's why we do it. But once again, it helps with my positioning a ton. And um, I think, you know, that's a, a big part of why the, my numbers are what they are. So I was watching your highlights last night, and one thing that I noticed that was interesting was uh, plays that you made, and you kind of talked about this a little bit already, on those lower rocket line drive type balls. I saw one uh, from a game against the Tigers. I saw another one where the hitter was Carson Kelly, uh, where you made uh, very impressive catches on low line drives. What's the difference between making the catch on that play and missing the ball? The first half-tenth of after that ball is hit, your initial read right away. And there's times where you just never know what that ball is going to do out there. So those line drives hit at you are by far the hardest ball for any outfielder, uh, especially I think for a center fielder, because that ball might look like it has true spin, but for whatever reason, if those seams catch anything, that ball can cut or tail at any point and that's what always makes it tough and you never know some guys have the ability to backspin the ball like crazy where I'll sit here and I think I'm going to catch this ball right here and then I actually have to bust back and then maybe make a jumping catch about 10 or 15 feet behind me because some people just have the ability to do that and uh, it looks like a golf ball just hit with a nine iron it just takes off type of thing so the difference between making the play and not making the play is your initial read. You have to know right away or else if that ball lands four or five feet in front of you and you're sitting here just cringing when it hops into your glove after hitting the ground where you're like, oh man, if I would have just got, if I would have just got that much better a jump, I probably would have caught the ball. And those are tough plays. Don't get me wrong, but I know how I think after those happen where I might've got a read that wasn't as good as what I would like. And uh, that's the result of making a play and and not making a play. And I sit here and I'll think about the rest of the night, unfortunately. And, but that's just, that's just how I operate. And, you know, obviously um, flush it, you know, hopefully before I go to bed, but there's some plays that just drive me crazy and make me think the rest of the day. And uh, I just want to make every play out there, obviously just like everyone else. So that's why, you know, drive homes, I, it's all I think about at times. And I, I try not to, but I take a lot of pride in what I do out there. And um, I take offense to any ball that I should catch that I don't. All right. So t- contrasting that with the fly balls to the deepest part of the park on which you make home run robberies. And I want to cite one specifically here, the one that we talked about on Twitter, uh, the Francisco Mejia catch. Yeah. Yeah, that was a play where, uh, wow, that, you know, you can sit here and watch the video um, over and over, and it was still the hardest play of my career. Degree of difficulty goes by far. That was one play where I truly surprised myself catching that ball. I just had a long way to run and had to go into a full-out leap, you know, somewhat horizontal, which I don't 
like doing because that's when you're going to hit the wall with pretty good momentum. But I already knew I ran far enough to try to make this catch and, um, you know, was fortunate enough to come down with it. But I drilled, I mean, I rocked my head on that wall. It, it won't show it if you watch it, but I, I drilled my head and thankfully passed the concussion protocol after the game. But that one, uh, it rang my bell pretty good. But that was a play where, you know, if I had again, I, I would do the same exact thing. I dream of making those type of plays. And I'm just always uh, trying to give everyone reasons to sit here and, and give me that defensive reputation that I have. Those are the plays that uh, I need to make that other guys don't make, I guess you could say. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it, that's the chip on my shoulder talking right now. And I just want to go out there and show everyone that I can, I can do anything and everything out there. And that's just from the confidence that I have in myself out there. And it's such a competition out there where I seriously, I hate when balls fall or if they go over the fence by a foot. I mean, I am, I'm, I'm very mad. I'm not, I'm not happy at all. So that's why I go about my business the way I do out there. I play with an attitude out there. And once again, I take offense to any ball that lands in front of me or a play that I don't make. And that's a big part of the reason why I go out there and play the way I do. Um, I just, I like, I like winning. I like making plays for my pitchers, the team. It's a huge momentum swing and uh, everything I do out there is for a purpose. I don't go out there just to try to get oohs and ahs from the crowd. I'll take them, but at the same time, I'm out, I'm out there to make plays and uh, once again, try to separate myself from the rest of the crowd. I'll explain something here for the benefit both of you and the people that are listening. Um, that those are challenging plays for a company like ours to evaluate because essentially we're making the presumption that the fielder is standing when he makes that catch. So it's not yes. necessarily the, 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 so there's a wall. So one thing that we added to our defensive metrics within the last uh, year or so is a wall factor that if we know that if you're within X amount of feet from the wall, uh, there is a spike in terms of the play difficulty. And on top of that, if you rob a home run in our system, you're getting extra value for that because that's a one-of-a-kind kind of play. And you are yep. literally, as we like to say, defensive run saves, theoretical, but there you're literally saving runs. So yeah. it may, like, sometimes the, the metrics may come out odd on what was the catch probability of something like that, but there are reasons for that, and we do try and factor yeah. that in and, and add things in. So it, it, I just yeah. wanted to explain that to you. wanted to explain that to the listeners. I guess that that's a people like our company are very focused on trying to replicate what you do. But when you try, there are certain things that you come up a little that you can't necessarily replicate. So we're making efforts and things like that. And I think okay. it's important for players. Very to cool. Yeah. So, so I just wanted to educate you on that. Um, do you ever look at any of your defensive stats or, or get any information on them? You know what? Um, it's usually brought up to me through media members throughout the season, or I'll see a tweet from you guys or someone else, uh, you know, tagging me in it, certain things like that. I, I, I just know that, it, you know, if I'm on a field and I'm healthy, I know that um, I have every right and reason to be, you know, close to the top of the leaderboard in a lot of those areas that uh, all these defensive metrics are tracking 
nowadays. And, you know, this helps guys like me tremendously, you know, hopefully the, the next guy out there like me, um, you know, defense is being valued so much more now than even when I first came into the league full-time 2014. I think it's just going to be valued more and more because of how good pitchers are nowadays and just how, you know, guys, everyone's throwing 100 with 92, 93-mile-per-hour sliders. Everyone has cutters. Nothing is straight anymore, it seems like. So with that being said, what I'm trying to get to is that taking away runs is just as valuable as driving them in. And obviously, you know, everyone wants to hit whatnot. The game will always be like that. I totally agree a hundred percent, but if you go out there and handle your business on the defensive side, it's, it's crazy to see, you know, what can happen. Perfect guy, you know, example, like me back when I made my debut that year, I started in double a got caught triple a and got made my debut game. One sixty three defensive replacement two days later I'm in the wild card play-in game versus the Indians played two innings of defense that game you know pop champagne twice for my debut just because of what I did defensively and then going into the next season getting called up to do you know be that uh back and forth triple a big league player was because hey we don't really care what this guy does offensively whatever he does here is a bonus we want him to hit but we want him to go play defense for us for three days while so-and-so is resting a hamstring. So I, I say that because defense eventually became let me be an everyday player. And then I, you know, had some success with the bad. And that's been a kind of a roller coaster for me throughout my whole career. Some guys make this game look easier than others. but uh, And then that's what got me a, uh, a contract a couple years later. So I always tell people, you know, that's why I take so much pride in, in what I do out there because it has paved the way for my whole career, essentially. And then it gave me a lot of opportunities to play every day and say, ah, you know what, even though, I, like I said, I, I'm trying to always maximize my potential in every facet of my game one way or another, but the offensive side has just never come easy to me. And it doesn't come easy to anyone in the game. Some people make it look easier than others, but you know, it, it's just been a huge probably the biggest thing that that is uh you know paid off in my life so I hope you know other guys realize how important it is as well whether you're an outfielder infielder catcher or, you know whatever position these uh these numbers can really help you stay on a roster or you know play yourself into everyday role like a guy like me and then get a contract a couple years later it's just I never imagined any of this happening but if you do um, all the little things right, they, they add up. And then, you know, you, you find out that uh, you can accomplish things that you never thought before. And I'm still trying to write my own book as, as far as my baseball career goes. Uh, you know, I hope there's many more chapters to it. But, man, I could sit here and I could just talk defense all day. It's what I love. And I know I uh, will definitely probably be a coach someday because it's my passion. And I think I might be a better coach and a player someday but I, I love helping people and it, it's something that I truly I know what I'm talking about and I love giving back and helping people out it makes me feel really good about myself and it's what I love to do what I love to talk about all right tell us about your glove yeah my glove is uh I've always been with Rawlings it's a Rawlings uh pro preferred I don't have it on me right now but it's an s303 it's like an h-web pattern uh actually I have my platinum glove right here. And what, what's cool about this is that, um, you know, a lot of the times they'll do the exact model 
uh, of your glove. And this one is a little bit different, but not a whole lot. You know, I, I've had the same glove for, gosh, the past eight years. Different, different gloves, same model, I should say. I'm sorry. I got I to gotta clarify that. But, um, yeah, Rawlings has, uh, they've always treated me well. And, you know, fortunately, try to make them look good as well. And have it able been to win three gold gloves and a platinum glove. And hopefully, uh, hopefully more to add to the collection. I should also, I guess, somewhat apologize to you for somewhat shortchanging your arm in something that I had worked up many months ago, uh, where I had people come to me and say, you know, you should have considered Kiermaier for that one. Tell us about how you developed your throwing arm. So I'm a big, uh, and, and once again, I know that I have to have my arm strength, my accuracy. I, I have to have it or else I'm, I'm just not the player that I am. So with that being said, I'm always doing arm exercises, mobility, strengthening, stuff like that with our trainers, um, stretch bands. But the main thing that I always emphasize on is long toss. I have to sit here and just throw a baseball as far and as high as I can because that's training all the fast twitch muscle fibers in my arm to fire at a high level. If I never threw max and it also is a release point thing. If you do throw a ball uh, very high and far, it's just one of those things that you you find a release point, and then once you start, you know, throwing on a line or you know throwing to bases, then you're like, man, this thing is just exploding out of my hand right now. But it's because I always practice on having my muscles, my fast twitch fibers, fire at a hundred percent max effort. Because if I never did that, my muscles wouldn't be aware of you know what I'm capable of so I'm always trying to go above and beyond with with my long tossing and stuff like that because I know that once the game comes and I'm asked to throw someone out I know that I'm ready to do it and I know that my arm is going to play at 100% rather than um you know other guys I've played with throughout the career they don't do it as much and some guys you know always ask me how do you you know why do you throw like this and that and I'm telling well, I'm doing things when, when no one's looking. And I would love for guys to come out and kind of watch my throwing program and what I do. Um, I don't sit here and throw it 60 to 90 feet for five minutes like uh, a lot of guys do just to sit here and go. I, I scoot back a couple steps after every throw, and then it's usually warning track to warning track, uh, depending on who I'm throwing with. But that has been a system that has just worked for me great over the years where I'm saving my bullets. I'm not throwing as many balls as other guys, but I am throwing with max effort once my arm is good and loose. And then I get 10 to 15 max effort throws. And then at that point on, it's like, okay, you know, I could put me whatever situation, the game you want, my arm is ready to go. I'm ready to throw someone out tagging up if they're trying to go first to third and, it's funny you ask that too, because I have to say this as well. My Earlier in my career, I feel like guys were always trying to run on me, and I would throw them out. And then, and then as time went on and, you know, got gold and platinum gloves and a couple more to follow, it's, it's been one of those things where I've always trying to be a student of the game. I never have anyone try testing me anymore. Hardly anyone goes first to third if it's like a true risky situation if it's a if it's a gimme obviously guys are going to go so I'm not going to say it never happens 
but even like on fly balls tagging up, um, unless it's, I'm very deep. It's just one of those things where guys never test me anymore. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I wish third basements would send them more, but I guess, uh, in hindsight, you know, it's respect and you don't want to, uh, make me want to make a third base coach look bad or, you know, kill it, kill an inning type of thing. And it's just crazy for me to think about how many chances I had 2014, 15, 16. And then as the years have gone on, it has been very few and far between. And, uh, it drives me crazy in some sense because I want to make plays and I know I'm capable of them, but at the same time, I guess it, comes down to respect and you know they're actually probably making the smart move but uh for me i don't like to think of it like that because i want to i want to show everyone what i can do out there consistently all right so i should note we track that we track when you hold guys so that is factored Mm -hmm. into your defensive run save all right so last question here you were inserted into your first game in game 163 in the eighth, ninth inning of a game that put the Rays into the postseason and i remember watching that and saying holy crap, this guy's entering the game and he's never played before. What kind yeah. of faith must the manager have in him? So I wanted to ask you just about the coaches. And again, you have essentially two minutes to answer this. Yep. The coaches whose faith you have rewarded uh, by, by them sticking with you, who you'd like to kind of attribute and thank, thank for that. Yeah, I think, I think first and foremost, number one is, is Skeeter Barnes. He's been our outfield coordinator for the Rays ever since I've I've been there and he's done a tremendous job with me kind of teaching me the ins and outs. And, you know, I've, I've been able to uh, develop certain things on my own as well, but having George, uh, George Hendrick there, um, he was huge. And he was there when I made my debut, um, Rocco Baldelli, he's another guy, Ozzy Timmons, they've all worked with me, but this at the time of my debut, that was, um, just kind of Mitch Lukovics, our, Jim Hoff, our minor league farm directors, Skeeter Barnes, and then essentially Andrew Friedman, uh, knowing what I could do and then telling Joe Madden, Hey, we're calling this kid up. And if we get a lead, we're putting him in because he's that good. And, uh, that's something I'll never forget. And I'm forever grateful for those people making those decisions and, uh, giving me a lifelong memory that no one will ever be able to take away from me. AK, uh, thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh, certainly, we hope you're playing soon. We want you to be catching some fly balls so that we can uh, start get back to tracking them. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Check out our newest baseball book, The Fielding Bible, Volume 5, out March 1st. This book gives a comprehensive look at our new and improved defensive run save stat. It features essays on all 30 teams, research and studies on important topics, and stats and analysis you can't find anywhere else. That's Fielding Bible, Volume 5, available at actasports.com, that's A-C-T-A sports.com, or wherever you buy your books online. And this wraps up this edition of the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. For Kevin Kiermeyer and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS. 